Uh, Tristan Griffin, come on up. You guys give uh, Tristan a, a welcome as he comes up. I don't know if you guys remember, but Tristan, we did uh, like Testimony Sunday. I think it was like April-ish, somewhere on there. I forget. We both forget. But (laughs) Tristan shared his testimony, and um, it was was just awesome. And um, before we talk, what were we going this morning? Talk about your family. Tell us who you're connected to, who the significant others in your life. Totally. Yeah, so Melanie down here in the brown hat is my beautiful wife. And we have four crazy kiddos. Scout is five years old. Tilly and Bingham are three, they're twins, and then we have a 17-month-old Dossie as well. Okay, and where are you from originally? Pray for us. Uh, we're, we're from, I'm from Texas originally, uh, came up from Texas to Ohio in my mid-20s, was coaching college football, which you'll hear about a little bit. My wife's from Salina, Ohio, on the west side of the state originally, so we're not from here, but we got here as fast as we could, as they say. So. Yeah, and Tristan may hold significantly that his roots in Texas are like, it's like a badge of pride, right? So don't say anything bad about Texas when you're around Tristan. You might My take truck it might have Texas on the side of it. It might. So, yeah. It does. Okay. Um, so Tristan and I have been hanging out for like four, three or four years. I don't know. Something like that. And um, Tristan was on staff with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, doing ministry at the University of Akron. Has just recently, actually like now-ish, is transitioning from FCA to uh, leading a nonprofit that you guys are launching right now, which is um, designed to create employment for people with special needs, which you guys have experience with in your family, right? Yeah. The Lord has given you a special gift of a young one and put that uh, passion on your heart. So they're leading the, and running an 80-acre farm up in Hinkley and beautiful things yeah. um, in store there. And just so, so Tristan's going to share this morning and super pumped about that. The reason why, like I, I have reasons why I put different people in front of us. Um, two reasons why Tristan is here. One is because he's from Texas. <laughs> Number two is you guys know that like on our, at our house, we grow fruit trees. And like there's a couple of our fruit trees that um, they have so much fruit on them that the branches are touching the ground. Because when you put a lot of fruit on a branch, like it weighs the branch down. And actually, we've got some branches that are breaking, which is a good reason for them to break. But like just like laden with fruit trees. And that's a beautiful thing to see. You want to propagate those trees. You don't want to propagate the trees that have like a couple measly pieces of fruit here or there. That's not what you want to fill your orchard with. And Tristan, as, as a man in his personal discipleship, I've gotten to witness this, is bearing fruit, like fruitful and it's been so fun to see that, like, on your personal journey with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that, like that, we want to propagate that here. We want to be a fruitful bunch individually and corporately, communally. And so, Tristan, you're here to help make us fruitful <laughs> this morning. So there's no pressure. But if we're not, we're going to blame you. Yeah, sounds okay? good. So Thank Tristan is, uh, is off and running. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for uh, sharing with us. Appreciate you, man. I think you just called me a tree. Um, so... My wife and I have been coming to church here for the past five years, and um, Brian just asked me to come up here and speak, so I figure I've got one shot every five years uh, to be in front of you guys and and share a message. Um, And I'm not as good looking as Brian, I'm not as charismatic as Kemp, and I'm not as smart as Jasmine, so I was like, man, I got to really come up with something good here. Um, And as I was thinking that through, in in all seriousness, I had to kind of think through over the last eight, eight and a half years that I've been following the Lord, all the lessons that I've learned, what is one thing that I want to try and download to this group? 
so it's really near and dear to my heart. Uh, what I'm going to share here, I find it very important in my own life. Um, and the topic is faith. And it falls right in line with, with Brian's theme for the year, but faith or trust. I'll use the two terms interchangeably. I really feel as if God is asking us to trust him. We see Christ say, oh, you of little faith, multiple times. We see him say, I haven't found so much faith in all of Jerusalem, right? And so there's some level of Christ wanting us to place our faith in him, God wanting us to place our trust in him. And I'll go so far as to say that God is not as much calling us to place our faith in his word or something he's done in the past as he's calling us to place our faith in him right here, right now, every single day. And for me, four years ago, about halfway into this following Christ journey, I found myself um, in a situation to where I was going to church every Sunday, consuming my Bible with great vigor, praying all the time in a small group, but found myself in a situation where I was like, God, there's got to be more to this thing. There's got to be more. I feel like I'm still chained down and shackled um, by so many things. I'm, I'm not truly experiencing maybe the abundant life, the freedom that you have for me. And so this faith piece for me took that fire that I would have said was a, a quality fire at the time, right, and turned it into a raging wildfire. To where every single day, especially as of late, my goodness, I'm, I can't just, I have to just be like, God, I'm so thankful for what you're doing. You're incredible. And so I want to share that with you guys this morning. I'm going to turn into uh, the rich young ruler story real quick before I get into some of this. If you want to turn with me, it's in Mark 10, 17 through 22. <clears throat> And it says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And if you'll grant me some leeway here, I'll plug in abundant right there where eternal is as well. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit abundant life? I really think the rich young ruler in this situation is in the exact same situation I was in four years ago. He's running to Jesus and saying, God, what do I need to do to take this thing to the next level? And Jesus says to him, verse 18, we're just going to skim over it a little bit, but, but, but Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And verse 19, we'll pick back up there. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the, rich young, wrong, and the rich young ruler said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. So taking it back to modern day, so to speak, right? Here I am four years ago. God, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep the commandments. I am. I'm showing up to church every weekend. I'm digging into my Bible. I'm praying fervently. I'm in a small group. But I really just feel like there's got to be more to this whole thing. And it says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. So Jesus looks at the rich young ruler, aims straight for the heart, man, straight for the heart, right? Christ knew exactly 
what the rich young ruler would need to take that next step. And he shot right at it. And we know that the rich young ruler says, I can't do it, right? Walks away dismayed, I can't do it. We'll leave the rich young ruler story there, but, but my point is that I think I'm not the only one who finds himself in that situation in following Christ. And I think there are people in this room who would find themselves in a very, situa- very similar situation to me and the rich young ruler. And this message is for you today. I want to tell you there is more. And it's got a lot to do with placing your faith in God repeatedly over and over and over as he places things in your life. So we'll get to that here. I want to just plant an image in our head before I get into some personal testimony of how faith has played out in my life. So we'll, we'll, if you guys will imagine with me for a second, okay? We're all sitting at a table, right, metaphorically, all sitting at a table. Imagine a kitchen table. And on that table is something from God for us to do. And you can imagine that table as your heart or your, you know, the the deep part of you where you feel the Holy Spirit nudges and tugs and speaks to you right where that still small voice kind of comes into your life. On that table is something from God for us to do. And rather than do that thing, oftentimes what we do is we get up and we sweep the floor or we walk over to the kitchen counter, we wipe down the kitchen counter, or we walk over to the television and we turn it on, right? We do everything we can. Uh, me, I say we, meaning me included, to avoid what's on the table, right? But I'm here to tell you that doing what's on the table repeatedly, over and over and over, will take that fire within your heart and turn it into that raging wildfire. I'm just going to share with you guys some stories from my own life with respect to this journey. And I'm going to frame it from a professional lens. You don't necessarily have to to frame it that way, but I think that's what makes the most sense for us here today. So um, rewind with me back to 2015. I met the Lord. I was coaching college football at Tiffin University, met my beautiful wife there. She was coaching softball and got to the point about a year into coaching where I felt like God was really just calling me to wear my faith on my sleeve a little bit more, to continue to run in the the realm of faith. Um, I had at that point developed such a deep passion for athletes who were struggling spiritually, um, coaches who were struggling spiritually, and so we really just felt called to work for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so as we're praying about this, considering it, um, I know that I've got... Very little Bible knowledge at the time. I had been following the Lord for a year, uh, and I was consuming the Bible like crazy, but for me it was just love God, love neighbor at that point. Uh, I also knew that I had very little experience leading an organization. Uh, I also knew that I had zero experience fundraising, and I was about to fundraise for my livelihood. I also knew that my wife and I were not from Akron, right? We were planning on moving to Akron to get this whole thing rolling. I'm from a thousand, well, you said it many times, Texas. Uh, She's from the west side of the state. And so if you look just at the circumstances, it's daunting. It is scary. It is like there's no way we're going to be able to do this, right? But we just felt like God had placed it on that table. And so we're like, I'm going to walk into it as best as we can. And we saw incredible things happen throughout the last seven years with FCA. Uh, 
just starting out in the finances space, right? We saw finances show up, you guys, with impeccable timing and in amounts that were down to the dollar of what we needed multiple times within our FCA journey. I'm not saying it's always going to be like that for everybody all the time, but man, we saw it a couple times and it was incredible. And it was like, God, you are, wow. Not only that, did it kind of just give, it, it radically transformed our view of finances. They say the number one fight in marriage is, is financial. I don't think we've ever thought about finances in eight years. Um, we, we just both see it radically different than, than the high majority of the world, uh, I think. And um, another thing that we've seen happen is uh, a large portion of my performance addiction. I would say that, that of all of my addictions, the, the, the many, uh, performance addiction, a workaholism was one of the first things that I kind of um, felt like God was attacking, right? Uh, felt like he, was, he would want me to focus in on. I felt like with NFCA, he would truly have me prioritize my life, God, family, work, and not compromise on that. So many times in my life before that, I had compromised on that. And so God would, with these little leaps, right, with these little things on the table, what I considered little, but they felt huge at the time, uh, would, I would feel like, lead me into going on a walk with my wife at 1.30 in the afternoon, right, when I should be working, or taking my daughter to school at 8.30, even though I know, man, people work eight to five. That's what you do, right? Everything in my body is screaming, you can't do that. It's all going to fall apart. You'll never be able to make this happen, right? Yet just taking those little leaps, doing those little things that were on the table, I saw tremendous fruit within my family as a result of taking these leaps. I saw tremendous uh, freedom within me regarding how I approached work and what that looked like in my life. Another thing we saw was um, a large portion of my people-pleasing worries start to dissipate as well. Um, jumped into this thing, like I said, very little experience leading an organization. God placed a vision on my heart, and I had to go out and pursue that vision. And in doing that, had to meet with hundreds of people per year that were strangers initially, had to cast a vision that was near and dear to my heart, had to have all of their input and opinion come in and start trying to, to shift that vision or change that vision or whatever it might be. And you finally get to the point to where you say, you know what, all I can do is just do this as honestly as I can based on the call that God has placed on my heart. And I've got to let the opinions of other people fall by the wayside. And the freedom that that has provided, not worrying about the evaluation of people, right? Um, getting up on this stage and, and saying what I feel like God's laid on my heart and letting you guys deal with it, right? Like that's, that's tremendous freedom involved in that. Another piece of the puzzle for us has been um, an increase for me in vulnerability and authenticity. I jumped into ministry and like I said, love God, love neighbor was the, the, you know, the thing that I knew at the time. And I found out pretty quickly, I'm pretty bad at loving neighbor. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the, the initial thoughts I had in my mind or the models that were given to me weren't great at connecting with people, right? And so I had to figure out what do people connect with, right? And I, and I learned that people don't connect with polished. They don't connect with perfection. 
Um, they don't connect with having it all together. They connect with um, vulnerability, with weakness, with people who have rough edges, right? Uh, people who might stutter or say um or forget a word every once in a while, you know? Um, and so started to learn that, and man, did that just explode my ability to love people and their ability to love me, because now I'm opening my heart to them. And it was just this incredible process of, man, learning to connect deeply with the people around me. And another piece of the puzzle, um, and I'm getting into two personal things here. Uh, This one is I learned to identify my emotions. Um, I would have said that I didn't even know I had emotions uh, through the age of 26, 27, right? And uh, we got pregnant with our first child in my late 20s, and we were reading a book with another couple, a parenting book, and at the end of each chapter of this book, we would discuss. And it would ultimately ask you questions about your childhood and the way that you intended to parent. And as we're going around the room, I'm listening to everybody else share, and I'm realizing, wow, that is not my story. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the SNL skit where they've all been abducted by aliens. And uh, there are two people, the, the, the government's interviewing them about their experience. There are two people who say, man, it was just the most incredible, you know, like I felt like I was floating on a cloud. <laughs> and then the other lady's like, what? You, no, that was not my experience, right? That was me in this group. It was you know, I'm listening to everybody else share about their childhood, and I'm like, whoa, that was not my experience. Uh, I, I had a rough childhood, you guys. Um, uh, and, and ultimately, uh, as we're digging into this, I just felt a spark of anger kind of kick off in my heart and really start to dictate a lot of my actions and interactions with people. And I would say what I did at that point is I started swinging my sword, right? I started trying to make the world right. Um, and that spilled over into my wife and my in-laws and others who had no, no impact on me. They, they had no part in what happened to me 30 years ago, but it was spilling over all over the place. And as I learned and kind of came face to face with the fact that I was swinging that sword, boom, it was like God dropped something else on, on that, that table. I need to go get help. I need counseling. I need to work through this. I need to forgive, I need to embrace the truth of what happened and move forward in a healthy manner. Another personal piece of the puzzle here, and um, I feel the need to share it because I I know what a big challenge this is in our world today. Um, I was sexually abused at the age of seven. Uh, was introduced to pornography at the age of nine and was addicted to lust before I ever knew what was going on in my life. Carried all of that with me into my mid-twenties, met Jesus, started following him, started trying to fight that. And I would say over a period of seven years had little to no progress. A little bit here and there, spurts and periods. Um... And then I was sitting down with a good friend, winter of 2021, and he had joined a 12-step program a year prior to get help with his lust addiction. And he told me he was a year sober at the time. 
for me, it was boom, right there on the table. Man, it was like, I know what I need to do. I wanted that so badly. I wanted the freedom that he had. So within a week, joined a 12-step program, started working my way through that. And I stand here before you today, 20 months sober from that issue. Um, Thank you. Um, Not only that, there's incredible benefit, right? Uh, Beyond sobriety, right? Don't objectify people. I connect with my wife on a much deeper and better level now. And I'm going to go here. Our sex life, better now. Yeah, believe it or not. Sorry if that offended anybody. But man, (laughs) it's important. And so, circling back to the professional space, and I'll wrap up with a couple more examples, and then I'll get into just a few points I want to make. What we've seen in seven years with FCA is nothing short of incredible. 2021, we launched a sports camp for people with disabilities. We're the first first ones in Fellowship of Christian Athletes to do it, over 2,500 staff. Um, we're doing it in 2021. I don't know if you guys remember something called covid Um, Nobody was doing anything summer 2021, but we just felt like God had placed it on the table and we decided to run at it. And this camp was wildly successful beyond our our wildest imaginations to the point where two years later, this past summer, it has been replicated. It's a model for over 30 camps across the world. Uh, countries like India and, and uh, countries I can't even pronounce, if I'm being honest. Uh, but, but it's like, oh my goodness, God, just, just, just because we've decided we're just going to try and do what's on the table. And now we find ourselves launching a new nonprofit, 87-acre uh, farm, right? A farm that employs people with disabilities. I've got zero farming experience. <laughs> ton of passion, ton of interest. Zero experience. We've set a goal to raise $500,000 between now and the end of the year. That's $350,000 more than I've ever raised in a year. Why? Because we feel like God's placed it on the table. It's scary every time. Every single time it is scary. Mm, I struggle to step into I'm a self-labeled coward. <laughs> if anybody's full of fear, it's me. It's scary every time, but we just continue to try and walk into it as best as we can. And we found, with respect to this, what on the surface appears to be a professional journey is underneath the surface, this very deep and intimate and challenging, yet super life-giving process that God has invited us into, which is absolutely incredible. I want to take you guys back into scripture for a moment. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. And this is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is a very extreme 
chunk of scripture here, and Christ might be a bit hyperbolic in his explanation here, but um, there's one thing I do know that is very, very deep truth within that. It is that radical faith requires radical action. Radical transformation, radical sanctification, whatever word you want to put on that, requires radical action. As I look back on our journey and the leaps that we've taken, um, every single one of them was big, ugly, and scary. Even the little things, right? Like, I've got to say something to a good friend that I just feel like God has put on my heart. Every single one of them is big, ugly, and scary. And it's going to feel radical to step into and do what God has placed on your heart. Now, you guys will notice a pattern, too, in everything that I've explained. There's a pattern here where God places something on the table, step one, so to speak. Step two is fear. It's always fear. And right here is where you get the opportunity to be like the rich young ruler or to do something different. You can be like the rich young ruler. You can turn away, say, God, I can't go there. That's too far for me to follow you. Or you can take it to step three, do what's on the table. And step four is always greater freedom, greater peace, greater love, greater joy, greater trust in God, more fruit, always. A couple more points that I want to make about um, what I'm talking about here, and then I'll kind of get into some practical how-to, but uh, there are two paths in life that I've seen And then there's a third that 99.9% of the population is looking for, but it doesn't exist. It's a a mirage. It is fake. It's false. The first path would be pursuing comfort and not doing what God has placed on the table. And that path always ends in misery. Long term, it will put you there. There will be enough inner turmoil, tension, whatever, It always ends in misery. Path two, get comfortable with the uncomfortable of doing what God has placed on the table. And the end of that path is always greater satisfaction, greater peace, greater love, greater joy, more of God, more trust. Path three is the path that 99.9% of people are, are looking for, myself included, I wish it existed. Hate to burst your bubble here today, but it doesn't. And that is a path of comfort. Not doing what's on the table with satisfaction is an ending. It it doesn't, with, with greater peace, with greater love, with greater joy, that path does not exist. Yet we see the high majority of our world pursuing that path over and over and over repeatedly. Next, I want to say that God is not expecting perfection out of you as you do what's on the table. There's a concept within football. Um, you would coach a running back back when running backs were important. Um, you, you, would, you would coach them, and the running back's the person who gets the ball from, from the quarterback a lot of times. 
when the offensive line opens up that hole, you hit that hole with everything you've got. You don't dance through it. You don't tiptoe through it. Because if you do, you're going to get lit up. When the hole opens, go. I look back on so many of our early leaps, and I'm telling you, I tiptoed, danced, shielded myself, tried everything. I, I did not run through that hole with a full head of steam, right? But God's not expecting you to run with it through a, with a full head of steam. It would be great if you did. He just wants you to run through it, right? Just run through it. Do the best that you can. He's not expecting perfection. And I'll turn you guys to James 1.22, one of my favorite little chunks of Scripture. It says, Be ye doers of the word. Be doers of the word. I'll tell you this, when God lays something on the table, the right response is not more Bible study, it's not more prayer, it's not going to your small group, and I'm not, those are all awesome things. I love those things, I do them consistently, and I think they're incredible. But the right response is to do what's on the table. Be doers of the word. <clears throat> So now, I've told you guys to be doers of the word, be doers of what's on the table. If I'm in your shoes, I'm thinking, that's all great, Mr. Tristan, but how do I figure out what's on the table, right? I'm willing to do, but what's on the table? How do I figure that out? I'm going to give you guys just some practical advice from my life that has worked for me in this space. And I think the first two things to pay attention to are, number one, pace, And number two, distractions. Our world is at a massive, rapid pace right now. And I find that if I'm trying to figure out what's on the table and I'm running from here to there and everywhere trying to put out fires, I'll never slow down enough to know what's on the table. Another piece of that puzzle is distractions. In the 1600s, the famous mathematician Blaise Pascal said we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. In the 1600s. That's pre-industrial revolution, pre-cell phone, pre-television, pre-internet. He was saying that then. Slow down. Remove the distractions. Remove those things you use to numb yourself from the world from reality, whatever it means. And I think that you're in a good spot then to start discerning what's on the table. And here's the five-step process that I use to discern what's on the table. Step one would be an internal evaluation. What do you feel like God's laying on your heart? And you can even take that and evaluate it against your passions and your skill set and your background and your culture and all of those things to kind of figure out, is this perhaps something that that God, you know, is is it sort of made for who God made me to be? Um, Step two would be know God's character, right? You can find that in your Bible. Know God's character and evaluate that thing against God's character. If you feel like God is telling you to go slap your grandma, oh, wait a second, right? Like that's not within his character. So we can go ahead and throw that one out. You don't even need to go to step three right? Know God's character. Evaluate this through that lens. 
Step three would be an external evaluation, right? So just starting to figure out are the circumstances within your life sort of aligning um, to, to kind of push you in this direction. Um, going back to our jump in with FCA, I had spent a year and a half as a college football coach. I had seen in great detail the impact or negative impact that a coach can have on the life of a human being. I saw also the rapid transformation that was happening within my life and the way that that changed the way that I interacted with athletes. And so I had all these kind of clues um, like, man, God might be pushing us in there, right? He might have his hand on my back kind of pushing me in this direction, right? And then step four for me would be find three to five people who are walking in the spirit, who love you deeply, who will shoot you straight with the truth and run it by them. Talk with them about it. Hey, Brian, man, I got this crazy idea. What do you think? And chat with them. And they don't even have to tell you it's a good idea or a bad idea. They don't have to tell you this is the exact path that I think you should go down. But as you have those conversations with them, I think what's on your heart and in your mind will start to become clearer and clearer with respect to what that next right step looks like. And then lastly, step five, because at this point you, you, you're pretty clear on, all right, God, I think this is what you're leading me into. Um, you may not like it. You might be scared of it. But all right, God, here I am. Step five is just prayer. God, if this is not of you, take it away. Blow it up. Because that's the direction in which I'm planning on heading. And he's a good and loving father, and I think he's, he's more than capable and willing to take away if he doesn't think it's the right path for you. So I'll wrap up, wrap up with this. Um, fear will keep you from faith. It can keep you from faith, but I got some good news. God is love, and perfect love drives out fear. Both of those things are in your Bible. Perfect love drives out fear. As you continue to do what's on the table, you will find that that perfect love is driving out more and more fear. And in its place, you're going to find the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to find peace. You're going to find love. You're going to find joy. You're going to find freedom. You're going to find deeper trust in God, deeper faith in God as you continue to walk down that path. You want more from your relationship with God. You want that fire to turn into a raging wildfire. Start doing what's on the table repeatedly, over and over. Band, you guys can come back up. I'm going to wrap up with this and then I'll I'll pray for us. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked around our world lately, but it's a train wreck. It is in such a bad, deep, spiritually dark state. Our world desperately needs every single person in this room. No one excluded. Every single person in this room to start doing what's on the table repeatedly. And I also know that every single person in this room needs everybody else. We need community. We need help doing that. Because like I said, it's going to be scary every single time. And you need some people that you can run to and say, hey, Tim, man, I am so scared of this. Help me out. Love me. Pray for me. Tell me I'm not crazy. So I'm going to pray for us here as the band gets rolling. 
I can pick that up and get it out of your way. Um, and if this is not the time and the place for you, that's totally fine. But if it is, I want to just encourage you to um, take this time while the band is playing to connect with God, pray for more clarity, more courage. Ask him to, 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 to show you, man, what is that thing on the table for me? What is that next right step for me? Pray for community, help, support. That's the church being the church, man. Helping one another, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens. So I just want to encourage you as the band gets going here to take the time to do that. And I'm just going to close this down in prayer real quick and then I'll get out of your way. Father, I thank you for this group of people. Thank you for their unique personalities, talents, gifts, passions. I pray that you would just continue to fill each one of us with an abundance of clarity regarding the next right step. Help us to push fear to the background, trusting and having faith in you that as we leap, you as our good and loving Father will catch us every time. It might not look like we want it to, but you will catch us every single time. I pray for an abundance of courage. And I pray for an abundance of community. I pray for vulnerability, authenticity, true, deep, meaningful connection between the human beings in this room. And I pray ultimately for your beautiful story to be lived out in and through each one of us as we continue to do our best to do what you're placing on that table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.